Hello from Ellensburg, Washington, USA. This is the Nick Zentner Geology Podcast, Episode 66, Brian Atwater in the Grand Coulee. Thanks for listening. Brian Atwater, Grand Coulee. I'm not sure those two things go together in your mind. You're a geology fan. Otherwise, why would you be listening to a podcast? Uh, Many of you are here in the States, but uh, I know a fair number of you are internationally uh, spread out, distant, and um, even you guys uh, across the oceans uh, probably know the name Brian Atwater. He's that big of a deal. Uh, I can do it in 30 seconds. Nobody here in the Pacific Northwest realized that we had great earthquake potential, magnitude 9, magnitude 9.2, etc. And this single person, Brian Atwater, uh, starting in the mid-1980s, was able to find all sorts of tsunami deposits that helped us all see that we have a serious issue on our hand involving uh, terrifyingly large trench-related earthquakes, and tsunami. That's the guy, Brian Atwater. And you're like, huh? I don't know who you're talking about. Well, I guess there's plenty. Uh, A simple Google search for Brian Atwater's name in geology will give you all that you need to know. He's been on all sorts of programs over the years, television programs and that sort of thing. I've talked about him a fair amount in my one-on-one lectures and that sort of thing. But it's all been tied to the Washington coast and the ghost forest and uh, realizing that this business of sudden land level change at a coastal area is a worldwide phenomenon, any place you have an oceanic um, subduction zone. Well, that's not our topic today. Brian's our topic, but not earthquake discussions, no tsunami deposits, in this episode. So what is going on here? Well, if you're a super fan of geology here in the Pacific Northwest, you know that in the early 1980s, so what is that now? Come on, 40 years ago? 40 years ago, before Atwater started doing his coastal work that uh, resonated around the globe and still does, his first assignment for the United States Geological Survey was northern Washington, east of the Cascades, making geologic maps. And his focal point was the bedrock, even though he was trained in in Pleistocene geology, his focal point was the bedrock uh, for those first couple of summers, I guess. I still need to get more of the story from him. But he kind of stumbled on to these lake beds north of Grand Coulee Dam, up against the uh, Colville tribe land, and he found evidence for 89 Ice Age floods, 89 separate uh, surges of water, presumably from western Montana, Glacial Lake, Missoula. And that work was meticulous, and he was counting annual varv layers in between flood events. I mean, it's just a it's a, it's a beautiful paper and still referred to quite often in Ice Age flood circles. So you're like, okay, well, I thought at the beginning of this program you said Brian Atwater and the Grand Coulee don't go together in your mind. Well, 
for most, I don't think they do because they are unaware of this very early Brian Atwater work. Well, he's back. <laughs> he's back. It's 2021. I'm recording this in late May of 2021, and Atwater is back out to uh, the to our side of the mountains, out in the sage, away from the ocean, away from the tsunami deposits. And he's thinking about Ice Age flood matters for the first time in a long, long time. More than 35 years. <laughs> I was telling him in the field a couple days ago. So that's really the, what, what brought this on. So um, I'm going to give you a little personal account of what I did on Saturday. It's Monday morning right now. Saturday, I drove up to Streamboat Rock. And uh, Brian said, I'll meet you. Uh, at this spot, and uh, he knows that I'm filming things uh, pretty much everywhere I go these days. Unclear how much he has seen, uh, but he knows enough to know that I'm I'm usually recording whatever I'm doing out in the field, and I have stumbled onto this new filming approach. I don't know, have you seen any of these? Uh, most recently, I just kind of go out. I, I visit with a geologist in the field. There's no planning on purpose. The, they decide where we meet. Uh, I get out of the car. I try to be on time. Uh, we say a couple pleasantries. I say, you okay with this? Can I mic you up? And they know enough about me to trust me that I'm not going to you know, embarrass them. And so they go, sure, let's do it. And uh, so there's kind of this guerrilla style. I don't know. I need a way to describe what I do, but it, it, it it's working. I'm I'm particularly pleased with it lately. There's there's zero prep. Uh, you just meet somebody. Uh, we have a conversation while we're walking, uh, while we're digging, while we're banging on rocks. Uh, it's a mix of excitement and uh, uh, it's, a, it's a very intimate style of filming. And I really like it. There's no film crew. It's just me and my iPhone 11 and my gizmo and uh, a couple of wireless mics, and, and uh, I'm off and running. And I know enough basic uh, editing on iMovie to slap something together. And it, it's on purpose. It's raw and kind of uh, uh, amateurish in a way on purpose so that people are just feel like they're out there with us. Okay, so Brian kind of knew I was had that in mind. First of all, this this guy, I'm not going to fawn over him, I promise. However, he's a big deal, man. Uh, it's a rare treat to be out solo. It turns out for a full day. I was out there the entire day of Saturday with him. Just the two of us. That just doesn't happen. He is, he really is peerless. That's as strong as I'll get. I don't want to embarrass him, or I guess I don't want to embarrass myself. He is without peer for what he has done in his career. And part of that is he's not much of a schmoozer. He's not at these scientific meetings. He's not a networking guy. He's not uh, collaborating really with many folks. Now, maybe that's inappropriate to say. Maybe, maybe that's not accurate. But... I do like the fact that he's kind of a, a lone wolf and he puts a very personal stamp on what he does that's unlike anybody else. And if you're familiar with his work, at least in written form, you, you know what I'm talking about. But even when he makes an appearance on a TV program, you know, he's got everything about him is unique. Well, 
So because of that, there just aren't many chances to be out with him in the field. And so, you know, I, I think I said this at the end of the last episode, the last podcast episode. I said I, I just got an email from Brian Atwater, and he said, uh, uh, if you want to meet me up in uh, Grand Coulee, uh, let's spend a little time together. I'll show you a couple things. Well, uh, Saturday was way more than him just showing me a couple of things. The context of this is he is prepping for a GSA field trip in October, co-leading the field trip with Richard Waite. So Richard Waite is also, you know, retirement age. All these guys, they're still super exciting uh, and super excited about being out there and learning new things, and yet they are extremely accomplished people. Uh, and so Waite asked Atwater to, to help lead this trip, and Atwater's like, well, I haven't done anything in the ICH flood since the early 80s. And he's like, well, you know, we really need somebody to look in the upper Grand Coulee with a fresh set of eyes. And, uh, and Atwater said yes. So in his style, he's out there learning new things, drafting new diagrams um, after being away for so many years, um, and kind of re- I guess, um, reintroducing himself to some of these concepts 30-plus years later. And that's where I come in because I think the the main thing I want to say here is that I don't think I'll ever forget Saturday. This is less than 48 hours ago. I don't think I'm going to forget that day. Not only getting a chance to be out with this guy for a full day, And let me choose my words carefully here because the tone could be wrong. I'll try. Uh, In a way, we were out there as equals. Now, it it sounds wrong just saying that coming out of my mouth. I'm a teacher. I haven't done any research. I don't have a PhD. Uh, I haven't played the game. I, I don't network with people. I like doing my own thing as well, but in a completely different avenue. And I guess the biggest thrill, I'll just say it this way, the biggest thrill was not only being out there for more than an hour and a half with Brian effing Atwater, but the fact that we were digging together, discussing together, and much to my surprise, he was as open-ended and as childlike and as um, um, uh, loose as I am when I'm out in the field. I quite commonly get comments from viewers who watch a field video and they, or maybe they email me and kind of have scold me. They're like, why are you asking all those questions out there? You're the, you're supposed to know all the answers. Like, why are you asking all these questions? And like, whoever you're with, you're like, why is, you know, so I'll just make something up. We've got three layers here. I'm being generic on purpose. Uh, we've got th- so you're out in the field. You're like you're just thinking out loud. We've got three layers here, but we can only follow two of those layers to that next canyon. Now, why would that be? What do you think? And it's an approach that, of course, works for a teacher. You're mentoring people. You're trying to get them to think the way a geologist thinks. But here's the punchline. Probably the most famous geologist, um, I don't know, a big name in geology is out there uh, in the mud 
with another guy. There's nobody else around. And it's just this um, completely pure, innocent um, discovery uh, moment. And if I talk about it too much, it sounds conceited. And it also is just kind of out, you know, out of out of body and you're like commenting on yourself and that, you know, there's way too much of that anyway. Let's, let's, let's just talk about the geology. So let me get off of that. I think you know what I'm saying. It was a thrill. And I did f- film what much of what we did. So I got this handheld camera and this, this little iPhone 11 on this, on this uh, gimbal and, uh, you know, trying to keep it out of the mud. Uh, and we're looking at Glacier Lake Columbia sediments. And Atwater has not thought about something called Lake Bretts, which is evidence for standing water in the floor of Grand Coulee, both upper and lower Grand Coulee at different times because of uh, constructions down Coulee. We'll leave it at that. I don't want to steal too much thunder. It's works kind of undergoing at the moment. Uh, and Brian didn't want to film that part because he's very early in thinking about those concepts, and he says, I'm not a boulder expert, and I'm not a this expert, and I'm not that expert, and I'm like, but you are a frickin' expert in these in these uh, fine-grained layers. He's got his famous trench. He's got his famous uh, um, uh, masonry tools and his paintbrush, and we're, we're, we're in there, and he's counting varves, and he's just you know giggling uh, with excitement, and I have, not, not in the last year and a half or so, but I have been thinking about the Ice Age floods a fair amount. Again, from my point of view, as an outsider, putting programs together, emailing experts. Um, I was most in the zone with the Ice Age floods with Tom Foster. Most of you remember maybe some of my recollections of, of making videos with Tom, the two-minute geology guy. And so, boy, I'm, I don't want to get choked up, but uh, Tom should have been there. Tom should have been there with us uh, for a whole bunch of reasons. But, man. Okay, so there's more to report personnel-wise, and then I'll get to a couple of uh, specific geology concepts. If you're, if you're saying out loud to yourself on your tractor right now, how about the geology? Quit talking about yourself. I totally agree with you. I guess this is a different kind of an episode. I hope you can feel the excitement that I have, and I know that this high will not last forever, but there's one more twist, um, which is almost um, impossible to believe. That was Saturday with Brian, but he had spent the previous three days on the Colville uh, tribe land, and he needed, you know, he waited for months for a permit and worked with some archaeologists um, from the tribe. And he was showing them some of the deposits that he wants to, I guess, rework or uh, fold into this field trip somehow. And, you know, he's emailing me last week, two weeks ago. He says, well, you know, I'm working with the tribe now. I don't want to upset anything. I don't have a specific uh, um permit for filming. I, I don't want to push that. Um, I, I want to make sure that, that they're comfortable with what I have in mind. And uh, so I don't want to meet you up on the trial. I'll meet you out at Steamboat Rock. Well, Friday afternoon, he's wrapping up with uh, this team of archaeologists. And there was a, 
a young gal named Lucy there who was telling stories about coyote and all these Native American stories. And she, I, it sounded like she didn't know much about Brian and his past, his, his, his reputation, essentially. And he loved just learning these Native American stories. And, and then Lucy or somebody in the team said, well, what are you doing tomorrow? You're leaving us. Are you heading back to Seattle? He says, no, I'm going to meet Nick Zentner down at uh, Steamboat Rock. And they all went, oh, Nick Zentner? Yeah, we know him. So Brian's telling me about this on Saturday. He's going on and on about Lucy and all this amazing oral tradition of, of inhabitants in the area during the Ice Age floods. And I'm thinking, well, are you, are you a long-time listener this program? Or the, the YouTube channel? What was I thinking? I wonder if Randy Lewis from the Wenatchee tribe knows Lucy. And Brian's talking about being late in his career and he hasn't mentored enough people and he wants to leave a legacy and he wants to, you know, you know typically old guy stuff. He's, you know, late 60s. I think he's about to turn 70. And I'm no spring chicken. I'm about 10 years behind him. And Brian, before we quit on Saturday, says, you know, I'm, I'm going to think hard about maybe asking Lucy if... if I can come back up there, and since Lucy and some of those other folks know who you are, maybe, maybe they would be okay with us filming up at these, at the Sandpoile Arm and looking at some of these Glacial Lake Columbia sediments. And I said, okay. Great day, Brian. Thank you. He's like, you bet. We'll see you. So I get home, and I email Randy Lewis. Or I text him, actually. I say, Randy, uh, I just spent one of the most amazing days with probably the most famous geologist in North America. And he was talking about this Lucy gal. Do you know who that is? So that's my niece. <laughs> Lucy. Uncle Randy. Me. Maybe Brian Atwater, who's definitely interested in continuing with this. And maybe a team of other folks. I hope it happens, but I'm just reporting the excitement right now. There might be some kind of combination of Randy, Lucy, other relatives, Brian with his expertise, me with my filming abilities, and a way to kind of uh, just try to you know, connect everything and kind of tell it in kind of a narrative form. There might be a very rare meeting of the worlds uh, up in northern Washington this summer. Uh, it may all fizzle out, as far as I know, but Randy and I were going to go out anyway this summer. The tentative plan was he has, uh, I assume you know who Randy Lewis is by now. I'm sorry, you got some homework if you don't know who I'm talking about, but he, he's a guy that I met two years ago, and I've only been out in the field with him a couple of times. We did a live stream episode. Um, we did another one last summer where he's taking me to a very spiritual place uh, for his people. And my plan and his plan was to, you know, just take little day trips, maybe half day trips. Randy's in his 70s. Uh, he was, you know, locked down like everybody else. And I think it kind of took a toll on him. So this spring I noticed he's 
maybe I just caught him on a bad day, but it felt like he was tired and maybe not totally um, as spunky as he was before. But our plan, Randy and I, anyway, was to do this new filming style and to capture some of his stories from his elders uh, at Frenchman Cooley, in Moses Cooley, at Dry Falls, up on the Waterville Plateau. In other words, I have done stuff with Randy Lewis before in Native American stories, but it's been from older times, and it was kind of like, you know, two bears, and there's, there's the stories about shapes of outcrops uh, kind of representing large animals and things of that nature, which, of course, is tremendously exciting and fun and captivating. But my God, if I can get Brian Atwater involved in this and we intersect specialization in tiny details from Ice Age flooding events, and then we have actual people giving us records. I mean, oh my God. So, you know, I've always meant to do this anyway. We go back out to the coast, and there has been some Native American lore uh, captured somehow about that terrible January 26, 1700, 9 p.m. local time, great earthquake that struck the entire Pacific Northwest coast. That's recent history, folks. That's less than 400 years ago. But I'm talking about possibly doing something that hasn't been done before, which is to try to visually and personally capture an intersection between local residents brought to life by Randy Lewis's storytelling, and Lucy and other relatives. Maybe Uncle Ernie could join us. Maybe Alan Veronica. I mean, my God. Randy's connected to everybody up there. And if I can capture that somehow, and I'm putting pressure on myself now just recording this, see if I can't make this happen. Whether Atwater's involved or not, just, just getting that Ice Age, Eastern Washington series of stories Getting it down before these folks are gone uh, is my, I think I've decided, is one of my big summer projects. Okay, we're 20 minutes in, and I haven't given you much as far as geology uh, that Brian Atwater's working on in Grand Coulee as he prepares for this big GSA field trip. So let me try in, the, in, in about 10 minutes or 10 minutes to go to try to give you a sense of what's up. And I don't want to talk too far out of school because he's he's he, as is typical of Atwater. He's got <laughs> he's got uh, a unique um, set of ideas that he's working on uh, with some evidence that he has found. I'm pausing because I'm not really sure how much I should say. Um, Okay, let's start at a pretty basic level, see if this works for you. The Grand Coulee is a big feature. If you're from other countries, I'm talking about a canyon, a huge gash in the landscape, flood basalts, German chocolate cake, Columbia River basalt group on both sides of the walls of this, of this grand cathedral of a, of a canyon. It's called the Grand Coulee, and in distant countries, you've heard of the Grand Coulee Dam, probably, due to U.S. history, Franklin Roosevelt, etc. Grand Coulee Dam, Woody Guthrie, all that. 
Um, but the coulee itself, uh, for much of the 19th century, was a total mystery because of the size of the canyon and the fact there wasn't a big river flowing down the floor of the coulee. I'll, I'll leave past programs to the, the discussion of that and Brett's and was there really a, a big Ice Age flood or were there a series of them, etc. I don't want to get into that now. But a surprise might be that in the floor of this gigantic coulee that was clearly carved by high-energy water, and that's an understatement. Yeah, I'm talking about dry falls. Yeah, I'm talking about Steamboat Rock. Yeah, I'm talking about the Afraida Fan south of Soap Lake. That's the main coulee I'm talking about. There are a few places in the floor of this incredible upper Grand Coulee that you can find these very, very delicate fine-grained lake beds that are from the Ice Age time. Now, to really understand those fine-grained beds, and it's, it's, it's beds of clay, very fine-grained clay, with some laminations, some dark and light banding uh, in the clay, and a surprise to me, uh, at the base of those clay layers is what Atwater calls a diamict, or a diamict tie. It's kind of a kind of a conglomerate that's glued together or cemented together. And so he wanted to show me a couple of exposures that he already knew about, just on the protected side, the lee side of 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 Drumheller, uh, of, uh, sorry, of, of Steamboat Rock. And I kind of knew about those beds, but I'd never been over to that spot. It's in the state park. It's just you know, all the campers and all the, you know, paved whatever car camping place is not far away. But this is just a walk down a little Jeep road. And then you, we didn't see anybody there the whole day. And he had only been to a portion. So we kept working our way north towards the base of Steamboat Rock. And he's like, ah, oh, the water's down a little bit today on Bakes Lake. Let's go around the next corner and see what we can find. And that's where the excitement really happened because he was starting to find this diamond, uh, this interpreted glacial till underneath these fragile lake beds, which presumably are glacial Lake Columbia, but Brian was, because of his experience more than 35 years ago, was seeing some varved sediments where he was actually counting years between events. And I got to admit, I, I, I took a backseat there. I didn't, I kept, I said it once or twice and then I kind of backed off of it because he, he didn't want to go there. I still don't totally understand why we know their annual layers. Like what? What field check do we have that we really are counting years in the mud, like tree rings in the mud, in the clay? And uh, But who else but Atwater to do this and to, to see exactly what he wants to see? Wrong way to say it. Who else but Atwater that can clean off a face so beautifully, and it was my job to take some good photos, which I've emailed to him, But he starts working out, and I'm asking in the field, like, so are we sure this is Missoula water? Can't this be uh, water from Canada? Um, he's asking me, what do I think? Uh, why don't I cut over there? So I got, I, he loaned me a couple of digging tools, so now I'm digging in there with him. We're cleaning off a face. We're interpreting those layers the best we can, but 
He's bouncing ideas off of me and vice versa. I know this sounds like a pompous ass episode of the podcast. I'm sorry, but man, it felt good. I I can't hold it. I got to say it. I got to say it. I don't play by the rules of anybody else. There's all these board games happening in the world of academia, and they're all playing these different board games. And you follow the, the, the rules, the instructions of the game in, in, the, in, the, in the box top to the T. And if I do this and this and this with the instructions of this board game, I'm going to get tenure. I'm going to get a certain job title. I'm going to get a certain promotion. And it's so incestuous. Oh, boy. Daddy's on a tangent. I'm sorry. I guess this. I guess I want to say this. It's so incestuous and so inward looking that it's very rare. If you want to talk about rare, it's very rare for somebody with a PhD with a research resume in the world of higher education to give somebody like me the time of day. Or if you're aware of what I'm doing, God, I shouldn't do this. If you're aware of what I'm doing, you're like, well, that's cute. You must be going through some sort of midlife crisis. You're making cute little videos for, what, people that are shut in or something? Like, the whole thing is just totally dismissive. Like, I got a PhD from Stanford. Why would I watch Nick Zentner's video on uh, Steamboat Rock? Like, you know. Atwater's different. And he has the ability to do his own thing at a very high level, and he wanted to be with me out there and potentially doing more with my connections and my abilities. It feels good. And I got to tell you, right now, I'm, I'm thinking I might delete this thing. I don't know if I want to pu- publish this one. Because this goes against exactly what I want to do with all the stuff that I do. The geology is the focus. I'm not the focus. I don't kiss people's ass. I don't play the game. And so I can't expect all the board game people to even watch what I'm doing, listen to what I'm doing. I know they're not listening. I know they're not watching. You're watching. You're listening. You're the people who really love this stuff. Oh boy, am I going to keep this one? I'll give you one more geology piece of again, I'm I'm hesitating because I don't want to give too much away, but the Afraid of Fan, which is south of Soap Lake, it was our last stop. And Brian and Richard Waite are looking carefully at the exposure of that Ephrata fan just east of the fish hatchery on Rock Lake. You may know where I'm talking. And Atwater's like, this this is an Ice Age flood fan, right? And I'm like, yeah. He's like, does it look different to you than the others? Like, is this like Pangborn Bar or Priest Rapids Bar? Well, I guess so. It's got big rocks in it. Uh, isn't the story that everything got flushed down the Grand Coulee and got 
dumped here in an expansion bar with the ice edge floodwater leaving the lower Grand Coulee and you know spreading out. Blah blah blah. I've said it a million times. He's like, yeah, I guess, but we start digging in this fan. The Afraid of Fan I'm talking about, south of Soap Lake. And he says, why is there all this matrix here? Why is there all this uh, fine grain stuff? I mean, these these boulders and these cobbles are, are not sitting on each other. And I'm like, well, you're right. When I've walked up the Priest Rapids flood bar south of Sentinel Gap, it's it's just a bunch of watermelons stacked one on top of another. There's no matrix there. Again, this is the, you know, just thinking out loud. Pangborn Bar, I don't know if I've seen much inside the guts of Pangborn Bar at Wenatchee, but same idea. Why is there all this matrix here? And I'll leave you with this. That water, and maybe weight, are visualizing, based on that deposit only, and it's early, visualizing a debris flow coming down the Grand Coulee. So I go back to Tom Foster, who said long ago, I don't know why these guys have all these posters of the Ice Age floods and the water's like perfectly clear. <laughs> like they use blue, like Tom was in kind of an uh, artist type of a guy. What are they doing? Why are they, why is they make, I know it's the Ice Age. I know y'all picture like, like a bluish silver gray ice or something, but why are they showing the Ice Age floods with the color blue? This water picked up a bunch of lus. It should be brown. And that was like one of his biggest things. Like he's contacting the Ice Age Floods Institute. He's contacting all whoever would listen. Tom Foster now. Get the, get rid of this blue water. It needs to be brown. And so of course I took my cue from Tom. And I'm like, anytime I give a public talk or a video program, I'll say we got to visualize chocolate milk. These Ice Age floods coming over over uh, Dry Falls. It's got to be chocolate milk. It's got to be brown water, not blue. You know what Atwater wants? After looking carefully at these lake beds that used to dominate in the floor of Grand Coulee, he wants a bunch of those lake beds there and then gobbled up by the next Ice Age flood. And that column of water is not just chocolate milk. It's a fucking chocolate shake. It's a thick chocolate shake. You turn that cup upside down, that shake's barely going to come out of that cup. So as we were quitting on Sunday, no, Saturday, and Brian had a, whatever, four-hour drive to go back home. I only had an hour and a half. He said, does this even matter? like just kind of asking out loud, but kind of asking me, like, does it even matter that I'm building a case in my mind for a debris flow coming down? Like these Ice Age floods are are more debris flows than they are floods of water. And I'm like, yeah, I think it, he says, well, how, how would that change, you know, something you would do in a program? And that's when I came up with this chocolate shake thing. 
instead of chocolate milk. And then we parted ways, and I'm thinking all the way home, like, okay, so does he even need icebergs anymore? I guess he does, if you don't perch a big erratic onto the side of the flood. But my big point is Brian Atwater in the Grand Coulee is starting to think seriously about what those flows, what those floods, quote-unquote, look like coming down the Grand Coulee and barreling over dry falls? Is it, is it as fluid and watery as many of us try to visualize? He's starting to wonder that. And he's wondering it based on the character of the deposits, both in the flood pathway, in the coulee floor, and also where a bunch of stuff is dropped uh, when the flood leaves the coulee. I'll give you one more, and then I'll quit. We're going back and forth, Brian and I, and I'm asking about the timing, and I'm getting frustrated. I can't keep it all straight. The ice sheet, the Okanagan lobe's here, and then it's gone, and and we drain a glacial Lake Columbia, and and anytime you talk to Brian, and I haven't talked to him that many times, but every time you talk to him, uh, what you think you know, you suddenly don't know because he's got a whole nother uh, set of narratives going and he's got good evidence for it oftentimes. At one point I got caught up in all this and I was kind of talking about my usual teaching points of, and I've done it here on this podcast. 18,000 years ago, you don't have Grand Coulee. 16,000 years ago, you set up the Okanagan Lobe. You blocked the Columbia. You quickly carve Grand Coulee pretty much 16,000 years ago. And by 14,000 years ago, you bust up the Okanagan Lobe and you have Glacial Lake Columbia drain down the Columbia over Chelan and Wenatchee and, and you're done. Basically, my teaching point for the last five years has been Grand Coulee was carved quickly, not one flood, but Grand Coulee was carved quickly roughly 16,000 years ago when the Okanagan Lobe was in place. Well, guess what? Atwater says, based on his evidence, he's been out of the game for 35 years, but based on his evidence that he's been putting together and thinking about, he says the simplest explanation is Grand Coulee is far older than 20,000 years ago. The Grand Coulee was cut long before. How about you cut Grand Coulee 100,000 years ago or more? And that the boulders that we have cosmogenic exposure dates on, other kinds of things that give us all sorts of dates that are younger than 20,000 years, that's all water that came into Grand Coulee (laughs) hundreds of thousands of years after it was carved. Mind blown, senses active. What a day. This was a different episode than normal. They're not going to be like this. This this was an unusual, hopefully one-time-only episode where I got into some personal baggage as well as the thrill of being out in the field with a very well-respected scientist. I hope that you can grab onto that feeling. And if you are now curious to see the video that I will eventually post on YouTube, 
I'm not sure, but I think I'm not going to get to posting it until a couple of weeks. I need to make sure Brian's happy with it, number one. And number two, I'm in the middle of this Geology 351 class where I've been in the Eocene between 60 and 40 million years uh, for you know the last couple of months. And there's two more weeks of class to go. So I, I don't think, uh, I don't know, maybe I'll put another podcast out about the time that I post the video. It might be that big a deal. Or maybe not. Or maybe I'll delete this audio podcast after I listen to it and think that it was a little bit too much of uh, yourself in that one, buddy. People tuned in to listen to a Brian Atwater and Grand Cooley episode, and you talked about yourself for two-thirds of it. Well, what's the name of the podcast, I guess, huh? I promise they're not going to be like this after this. Thank you for listening to this, dear listener. I hope that you enjoyed it. <laughs> and uh, I'll be back at uh, more episodes of this series, getting back into the Eocene. There's plenty we've been doing in class that I have not reported to you yet, but I'll be getting there soon enough. The quarter's almost done, and I'll have more free time. Thank you for listening. I love you, and goodbye.